On the show today, stepping in for Rivers Corbett is Janice McDonald, founder of The Beacon Agency and Startup Canada's ambassador for women entrepreneurship. We are thrilled to have a Quebec icon on our show today. Peter Simons is the president of La Maison Simons, a homegrown Canadian fashion retailer that's making bold entrances into major cities across the country. A 175-year-old company, it's older than Canada itself and continues to thrive through innovation and aggressive expansion. The chain was first opened by Peter's great-grandfather in Quebec City and originally sold dry goods. The store name carried on as a fashion retailer over the next four generations, making it the oldest family-owned retailer in the country. No small feat. In a highly competitive industry, Peter maintains the store's the store and company's edge with his sensitivity towards artistic creativity and architecture in store design. With 14 locations, customers can choose from a hybrid of products ranging from apparel to home goods, all ingrained with modern twists of Quebec and Canadian identity. In today's podcast, we'll talk to Peter about long-term growth strategies and how to stay authentic in an increasingly competitive landscape. Welcome to the show, Peter. Hi, thanks for having me. Hi, delighted. So what is the state of retail in Canada these days from your perspective? Well, it's in a massive uh, moment of change, uh, tectonic or almost revolutionary, I'd say. I think we're just at the beginning and it will be very interesting to see how it plays out and very competitive environment as all this change goes on. Everyone's trying to redefine uh, their place in, in, uh, in this fluctuating market. So you've said, forget the next two years of new stores. We're 175 years old. We don't think in two-year increments. We're thinking in 50-year increments. What are the components of a successful long-term growth strategy, especially one that spans generations? Well, I, I think you really have to ask yourself why you're building what you're building, and you have to keep your eye really uh long term ahead of you uh, the question is also about you have to be prepared I think to sacrifice in the short term and uh, that can be difficult and painful uh, because it involves a lot of change and a lot of uncertainty but uh, I think that's where I really say forget about the next two years we're not in a moment for the next quarter we're really in a moment of thinking about 2050 what the world's going to look like be it the different social aspects, the energy, communication, all these things are going to impact all businesses, not only retail. And uh, we are at a moment we have to build companies, I believe, uh, for that sort of time frame. It's exciting. So, of course, growing up in a family business where your name is on the building or many buildings, uh, how did that shape you? That's not everybody's regular well, <laughs> experience. You know, I mean, I know it's all that you know, but uh, it's unique. So can you kind of shed some light on that? Yeah, I guess, I mean, your question relates to when I was younger. It, uh, My parents were really focused on education and uh, making sure we found something we enjoyed, we were enjoyed doing, and they gave us a lot of freedom. There wasn't any pressure to come back to the family business. I'd say it has mm -hmm. more of an impact on me today, really, because your name's on the door. It 
you relate to everything you're building a bit differently. I think you really, it, again, it's not about the next quarter. It's about your name. It's about five generations of my family. There's a sense of responsibility. There's certainly a, a personalization of the business and a responsibility toward everyone we work with. So uh, I'd say it's a positive thing. It, I think it brings you back to certain core values and, and you really ask yourself why you're doing something. And in a world of really just a lot of impersonal businesses where often the, the actors are hidden away somewhere and, and there's no sort of ultimate moral or personal responsibility, I think customers today for our business find that uh, that's a good thing for our customers, a good thing for everyone, the people I work with and uh, uh, for our business. It makes us just take a different approach. So when uh, I have spoken to other entrepreneurs who have grown up in entrepreneurial families, they talk about the the lessons learned around the breakfast table or dinner table, wherever the family yeah. and whenever the family has gathered. So um, when you think back to those early days, what were maybe some of those early lessons learned that, um, you know, you're applying today and or, or just some thoughts that you take away from, you know, learning business, right, uh, you know, alongside sharing a meal with your family? You know, it was more, it was a lot more oriented around more fundamental values. I saw my father go to work every day, uh, never complaining. He worked hard. Uh and he enjoyed what he did. So uh, that sort of work ethic certainly was transmitted. Uh, I saw him uh, work hard and always try to be uh, pay attention to the question of equity and fairness. And uh, mm-hmm. I saw his dedication to the business and his idea of trying to build a quality business as, as opposed to just trying to build a big business. And uh, I think I've carried that work ethic and those values uh, forward, or I've tried to at least, or we're trying to. It's a continuous struggle. So uh, I wouldn't say it was particularly entrepreneurial. It was more... Uh, more social in terms of values growing up. And and I would say that's my big takeaway. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So uh, clearly you're a values-based organization. What does that mean to you to be a values-based organization? Well, we're a private family company. And I think right now, uh, you know, I joked a couple of years ago I, as we were trying to build out uh, our web business. And I mean, there was some, some really tough, times. And I just said, well, thank God I'm not a a public company. I would have lost my job a number of times Mm -hmm. already. So uh, people Mm -hmm. used to laugh at that. But someone the other day came back and reminded me of the story and said, boy, you were right. Because uh, we've really tried to leverage the fact that we're private to find a way to impose our value, our, our, our ideas of what the role of a company should be, how it should treat people. I think we are at a pretty uh, important moment where um, how the society works and the role of companies is being questioned. And uh, and I'm hoping maybe we could play a little role in trying to redefine uh, companies' responsibilities in terms of the societies where they work. Uh, and perhaps a, there is a movement away from the a sort of a pure Adam Smith, uh, Milton Friedman type of movement uh, that that is, uh, uh, you know, shareholder value at all cost. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'd like to maybe try. Well, we are as a group. I think we're trying to search for our way through that in terms of the choices we make, be they fiscal, be they uh, cultural, uh, 
you know, I I'd like people to go away today thinking that there are this there are private companies out there that are really trying to play a different type of role or a new type of role and find a new balance and that that's happening here in Canada and that that there there is a different way to do business uh, you know successfully with with a full awareness of your responsibilities and your privileges and of of working in Canada well, if, um, you know, I, I had the opportunity, obviously, to uh, be be in your store and have a tour with you and see firsthand uh, the connection that you have directly to your customers, but also to your people. So when you talk about how you treat people, what uh, what is the Simon's way? Um, what are those values in, in how you treat people that work with you? I think we're trying to build an organization where obviously there's a there's a respect and empathy for everyone within the organization. Uh, we're we're really focused on on quality relationships, and we're we're trying to come back to. Well, I guess you know if you want people to give great service, you have to give them great service in a sense. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. You know, everyone in their it's it's very subtle. Everyone has their role, and I hope. They feel respected. Uh, it doesn't matter what you're doing in our company, that we can come together. A, an organization like ours, I see it, it's a community. It takes all sorts of people coming together doing different tasks. No one is more important than anyone else. And that was probably one of the biggest takeaways from my family upbringing in my father was that idea that we could navigate through all sorts of people from, you know, fishing in northern Quebec, but I never saw my father treat anyone disrespectfully in his whole life. I mean, he had an appreciation for everyone's part in what was being built or what was being done. And, uh, and I think uh, I'm trying to give that to my children today. So for me, it's, it's a vague answer a little bit. I don't want to sound trite. It's about trying to put together an organization, a community of people that are centered on achieving a, a particular task, but that also feel valued in that task and that feel treated with understanding and respect. Not always, uh, we don't always have to be in agreement, but I think if there's uh, that feeling that I'm, I'm, I'm heard, that I'm important, that I am respected, um, any valuable community is going to revolve, I believe, around these, these particular values. It's exciting. I mean, respect, empathy, quality relationships. It sounds like an amazing place to work. And obviously, you have the secret sauce because you've been doing it for five generations. So, you know, (laughs) there's a lot of hard work. I think we have a lot. We have some really amazing people. We spend a lot of time really focusing on the quality of the people we try to we want people to share those values and that's okay if they don't that's i understand there's there's different ways to do business but i i do believe we are at a point where there is a hunger and a and a and a perhaps an unformed or unsolidified understanding that there has to be a new way to find a certain balance and a certain uh, uh, businesses. Doing business in Canada is a privilege. I mean, it, it comes with great privilege, but it comes with responsibility, I believe. And perhaps we're at a moment today in history where that is a little bit out of kilter. There's this thing that, well, you know, with just globalization and uh, that maybe companies don't have their only responsibilities towards shareholders. And I, I honestly don't think you can build a quality company with such a narrow 
point of view, and I could, I'm not going to point any particular fingers, but uh, uh, I don't believe that's possible. I think we are on the, the verge of trying to redefine uh, what, you know, how companies work, how new 21st century companies will work and function in society. And secondly, I think customers are coming around to trying to decide really uh, concretely what companies they support and 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 what sort of values they want to support uh, and so it, will it work i don't i don't know i think it if people i think it i think it is working peter <laughs> yeah it's, it's i think you know, it really is well, it's, it's, it's exciting you're in growth mode you're expanding yeah. uh it's it's an exciting time when you talk about sort of the the changing landscape in terms of people's expectations for business if we look at uh changes for example like benefit corporations b corps that whole movement where um companies can look at things other than just as you mentioned uh shareholder value and can have other considerations, you know, so much of that is being driven by millennials who uh, really want to see business done differently and, and are directly making choices based on their values in terms of where they spend their money. So um, I think you're, uh, I mean, it sounds like uh, not only are you ahead, but you're also, um, you've been in in some senses also continuous in in these uh, values, right? So it's, it's the Simon's way has been consistent. It's just that maybe the rest of us are catching up. Oh, that's, yeah, I wouldn't maybe agree completely with that. <laughs> uh, we've, been, we've been consistent. Yeah, I think strangely enough, I just, there's been a break and the weakness in the chain isn't customers customer shareholder values created through customer values. And right now customer mm-hmm. values are really evolving very quickly. And it's, I sort of feel sometimes in the public sphere that just shareholders haven't caught up and realized the implication or they're hoping that customers won't really play out in those values or care about them enough to, to change who they're doing business with. But we have a younger customer base and, uh, I I think they are. I think they are going to to make changes and decide who they want to support. And uh, you have to think long term for that. But uh, um, I think they want to be with exciting companies that are trying to do something different. And uh, we'll we'll see. But I'm I'm very optimistic that the up and coming generation is much more thoughtful, much more sophisticated, uh, much more sensitive. Uh, uh, right now and environmental and social issues. And uh, mm-hmm. on the other hand, they're very worldly. They're understanding. Uh, nothing's perfect. They, they want to see authentic effort as opposed to just complaining if it's not perfect. So uh, I'm excited. Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, the old kind of um, corporate social responsibility strategy that often kind of looked like Frankenstein efforts where they just plunk something on, you know, is is really being replaced by companies that have those aligned values going all the way through. So, um, you know, there's lots of research showing that um, and and you know, you're a perfect example of, of why you're winning and leading because the, uh, the consumer today knows authenticity when they see it and they can feel it and they want to support it. So, um, you talked earlier about, um, you know, this, this whole notion of leveraging your private opportunity, you know, you're being a private company and that you've gone through tough times, for example, with your web business, but it's certainly a very successful online business. Now, can you talk a little bit about that journey? Well, the, the journey, I mean, anecdotally, I, 
there was a lot of resistance to the web business. We're talking 10 years ago now. I remember the mm-hmm. family saying, well, finally sort of giving in a little bit and saying, okay, we'll give you 24 months. It took me a lot of money and uh, a number of years to build the first version of our site. And the first day we sold, I think it was $825. And those 24 months disappeared in one day. <laughs> the phone rang <laughs> and everyone started complaining. So uh, so it's it's uh, it really taught me uh, a little bit just it needed long-term vision to build it. it I mean, the, the, it was it's a big infrastructure. Uh, it's gone from uh, a tiny business. It's probably the fastest growing business, uh, one of the fastest growing businesses uh, uh, in Quebec City or Quebec for sure. Um and it's an you know today it employs uh, over 300 people and uh, and wow. from scratch so and the, it and it's a lot of great jobs in technology ai we've got a doctorate in mathematics working for us from the from uh, 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 from overseas uh, uh, there's a lot of interesting things going on from graphists professional jobs so i'm proud of what we've done but it was uh, hard work it was a lot of heavy lifting so um Yes, back to the – I, I digress a little bit. Uh, the, the journey was entrepreneurial. It was interesting. It's still massive change. I think the fact we were private helped us make those long-term commitments. I wouldn't want to be where I am today without having made those sacrifices, but they were sacrifices, and 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 we're on the cusp of having to make an investment in robotics and a, a new distribution facility. So there's an amazing journey ahead of us, but uh, – would have might have been quite difficult, like a number of other things about our company. I don't think would be possible in the public sphere. Uh, be they, you know, the solar field we're installing right now in Edmonton. Uh, I'm really excited about that, but I I don't think it would pass in a public environment. And a lot of the investments we make in art commissions in our stores and architecture, mm-hmm. there's no doubt we could do it a lot less expensively, but. Uh, um, and there's choices we make about how we run our business fiscally. You know, my servers are here in mm-hmm. Canada. I, I pay my taxes. I would like to think that governments would be much more proactive. I think there's a very poor understanding at all levels of government right now of what this technological revolution means for municipal, provincial, and federal government. I think it's it's not a judgment. It's if you're not living in the change and the crisis isn't before you, well, humans, we just generally don't like change. And I, I include myself in that. So um, I think governments haven't felt quite yet what's coming, but there's just there's just so much to do. I would so much love Canada and Quebec to every province to get together and at least stand up and speak for what's we believe is right on the world stage right now. And for me, that would be, there has to be major change in fiscal policy, global fiscal policy. People call me a utopist. There has to be a transparent corporate registry. You, you, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, what we, we made these, we, we, we decided how to build the global system 70, 80 years ago. The taxation was based on another era. Uh, today, as I, I you know, I recently have militated quite a lot for it, but uh, you mm-hmm. can't transfer price your way out of social responsibility. And uh, mm-hmm. I would like to see much more dynamic approach to that. I would be proud, honestly. You know, as I said to someone uh, here in Quebec recently, I know we're not going to change the world, maybe, but you know, stand up. Let's say at least what we think is right. You know, be Rosie Parks. Sit down on that 
bus bench and tell me what's right at least and then we can work from there but right now there's we're lacking that dialogue because we're lacking that sense of urgency and in retail as in media you know we're in a podcast right now uh, these are mm-hmm. people who are on the vanguard of technological change and that are feeling the changes and so we sense the crisis we see the tsunami but um, I'd like to I'd like to try to push uh, all levels of government to think a little more profoundly about that and to have a voice about what we're trying to do because they're just I mean it's not it's not it's 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 a completely crazy it's unacceptable it's unacceptable it's it's not it's not sustainable I won't say crazy it's not sustainable the way we're going you know you you can't you know you can't sell 90% of your your things in North America and declare 90% of your revenue in uh in in a small some small European country, yeah, it, it's it's not sustainable, mm-hmm. and cities will begin to feel the impact first. And you know, we cut back, and uh, you know, I, you know, we we if we va- we have to finance our values as a society, and uh, that takes a lot of hard work. And we but we value education. We know there's transition, there's needs coming. Our old aging population. Businesses have a role to play in that. You just can't dodge that. And right now, I think legislatively, I really don't think governments are uh, aware of what's going to come and what has to be done in terms of the environment, social equity. Uh, so that's my that's my. And how do you create that urgency that you so desire? What do you, I guess what do you, you think it's going to take? I try to in my own part i would hope i could paint a picture of you know as in media and as in you know these changes are massive they're coming and uh i think you try to advocate for what you see as as uh normal you know it's it's not normal that i pay for the road and other people can put their servers in some some uh, mm-hmm. far off place and not pay their taxes. It's not normal that Facebook paid less taxes in in the British Isles last year than than I paid when I was a student working at McDonald's in London 18 hours a day. It's not normal. Mm-hmm. That's unsustainable. Mm-hmm. We won't have roads, we won't have healthcare, we won't have a lot of things that we all value. I mean, I'm I'm thrilled to be in Canada right now. I think we're super well positioned to really take a leadership role right now in terms of at least raising these questions but much more aggressively. Uh, you know, we, we can't continue on. Uh, you want globalization of trade, you have to have globalization of responsibility. And mm-hmm. we're, there's been a gap. You know, trade is certainly globalized. Finance is certainly globalized. But people remain localized and we have smaller communities and we have uh, – there has to be a re-equilibrium reached and a, a, a new thought put into it. But, boy, it, it takes courage. It's huge change. It's uh, – but it – what the course we're on now, I don't believe, is completely sustainable without much more firm government action and a more firm government vision about, you know, how is global taxation going to work? You know, how can government's number one job is to ensure equity. And if people doubt equity, then you see the rise of different movements and uh, and rightfully so. I mean, I understand what we're seeing in the world today a little bit. If governments can't assure equity – uh, it's a, there, it's it's a terrible price, and there's a lot of demands right now. There are environmental questions. I I believe that the biggest issues of our generation are social equity and, and the environment. And uh, look, we're 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 getting off onto social issues, but my point would be more so. I think as a private company, 
I'd like to tr- you know I'd like to try to play a role and lead and maybe make some decisions. Uh, you know, we're building a zero energy store and someone will say, well, that's one thing. We're, we're making choices about how we think we can participate in a quality society and build a quality community and, and, and play our role. And I'm, and we can make those choices outside the sort of next quarter scrutiny of the public market. And I think, I think we can, that can be appreciated. I hope that can be appreciated in the long term and customers start to realize that there's a value to companies like that that are locally based. You know, As I said, everyone wants to do business in Canada. No one wants to take responsibility. Well, I'm not shy to say we're here. You know, My servers are here. I pay my taxes mm-hmm. here. I'm, I'm proud to live here. And, you know, I go mm-hmm. for these, I visit stores from coast to coast and I got to tell you, I get back after a week and I am pumped. <laughs> I am pumped about being <laughs> Now, you know, from Vancouver to Edmonton to Saskatoon mm-hmm. to, I just come back and it's amazing. It's truly, mm-hmm. and it's hard to describe. I just, uh, you know, we're working with Douglas Copeland in Vancouver. We're just the amount of innovation and the, it's not the perfect place. It's not, never will be the perfect place, but there's a lot of just great people. And we have this strength in our history of, of trying to work through a messy multicultural problems. And, and I'm hoping we really continue to value that and continue to work on it because it's been there since the founding of the nation. And, and, uh, it's one of our biggest assets. And when I come home, it's one of the things I, that makes me proudest that we're, I think we, we have this skill set that's very applicable to the 21st century. So I agree. Canada is a very special place and we're thankful that we've got your cool stores <laughs> peppering our country. That's for sure. So one of the things you said that surprises me is you said that uh, you said people don't like change and you included yourself in that. And I'm surprised because uh, you're a big thinker, you're a visionary, you know, there, there aren't other retailers that I'm aware of, um, you know, with these kind of big, bold ideas, whether it's zero energy store. And I, I don't want to hear more about that. I want to hear more about your amazing partnership with Douglas Copeland. I want to hear more about, you know, why you're thinking solar. Um, and I understand it, it's values aligned, but it's also like amazing innovation. And so, you know, in a way I'm surprised to hear you say you too, <laughs> that you feel like you don't like change. So can you expand on that? I, I think we all resist change to a large degree. You know, I, I like to tell the people I work with here that we, you know, we're all going to resist change the, the but the professionals the really the best people i think they're able to overcome that and really proactively address the change and and that's a question of self management and self realization uh, it's always nerve-wracking it's very stressful so i we certainly all re- the, the key is being able to change without having a crisis impose it on yourself, be it a business or anywhere. So uh, we're always trying to come back to that and just say, can we be smart enough to change without the need for this sort of primordial need for a crisis to drive our change? And uh, that's, that's actually really powerful. And I think for our entrepreneurs listening, that's, that's very helpful and a a real practical approach to strategy and thinking about your business is that, you know, constantly reacting and going from one crisis to another is exhausting. (laughs) And it also takes you far away from, you know, the, the kind of visionary stuff that you're doing. Um, Can you talk more about some of these 
bold ideas, the zero energy store, you've got the solar panels, your collaboration with Douglas Copeland and others. Um, you know, what's the motivation? And, and you know, uh, it's clear that innovation runs through everything uh, that Simon stands for. So can you just Tell us more about these really exciting areas of development. Yeah, they're sort of they're ideas that come up that we think customers are going to relate to. They're also things that touch on, uh, I think, what makes us different and more local and uh, and bring value to the community. We, you know, Douglas Copeland. Uh, I really approached him three, four years ago with a project. We, I was reading a bit about the idea of crowdsourcing art and sort of tossing this idea around in my head. And it didn't really go anywhere. We did more of a classic commission in Vancouver with him for a piece of work that's called bow tie. And, but I think the art conversation sort of stuck with him and then we connected again a year later and uh, uh, he was into 3d printing and we decided to crowdsource uh uh, a piece of art. We've gone around the country from Halifax to Yellowknife to Vancouver, and we've scanned, uh, 3D scanned about three or 4,000 Canadians. And he's uh, building a piece of art right now that will be unveiled in Ottawa in the month of November or December, if all goes well. And uh, That's exciting. It's a cool project. We have a 3D printing so farm. Cool. And uh, I mean, he's a He's a just he's a great guy. I was a little nervous. He's sort of I've worked with a, quite a few artists, but he was on another scale and you know, he could have just sort of told me to go away and I would have accepted that. <laughs> so, you know what? Was, but he didn't. He did. yeah, he's Canadian. What yeah. he's a, he, you know, he's polite, yeah, yeah. he's nice and he's 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 smart and he's and he's he's thoughtful and he's he's got he's a pleasure to work with. He's he he's the it doesn't get much better than that because he invites you into his world a little bit. He's generous and thoughtful and, and, uh, it's been a good experience. So I, I don't know exactly what the whole piece is going to look like. I'm still asking him, but, uh, he doesn't really come clean too much. So, uh, it'll be a bit of a surprise at the end, but we had a lot of fun traveling around and I think it gave Canadians a look at 3d printing and some people came to be scanned. Some people just came to see the printers and some people came because obviously they're big fans of Douglas Copeland. So, uh, there was an exciting mm-hmm. It was a continuity of what we've done. We, you know, we've commissioned the first piece I ever did with, with Guido Molinari in Montreal. It was a gigantic mm-hmm. uh, triptych, but that really came uh, from a, a painting my father had. In his, it was a modern painting in the house when we were kids, and it was just squares of color. And we'd always say, Dad, why did you buy that? We could paint that for you. <laughs> and he said, well, maybe the shapes, but could you pick the colors and put the right ones side by side? And so that was our first, uh, our first exposure to modern art. So uh, we've all and it left a lasting impression. Clearly, it did actually. I I would have under I don't know what it, you know. It's funny the things that influence you in life. Uh, I think mm-hmm. uh, to be stimulated and surrounded and thinking. My father's not an art collector or anything, but it was a piece he bought when no one knew who Guido Molinari was, uh, just at the end of the Neoplastiens in Quebec. Uh, uh, but he had an appreciation for beautiful things, and uh, uh, he loves that painting. And uh, uh, and Guido was also very generous. You know, I tried to reach him, and I couldn't get him. And so finally, I just picked up. I said, "How many Guido Molinaris can there be in Montreal?" And he, <laughs> I phoned it. The third one I phoned it, it awesome. was him. And he said, "Come down to my studio, and we'll talk." And 
you know, I still have a suit in my my in my wardrobe. He asked me to peel some tape off a painting that today must be worth I don't know a couple hundred thousand dollars or something like that. I stained my yeah. I stained my suit helping him take the masking tape <laughs> off one of his paintings, and I never sent it to the dry cleaners again. So you know, you meet oh these people. Gosh. It's really it's not about necessarily the art. Sometimes it's just about the connection and the the contact and the creativity so uh i've had some incredible moments uh working with artists generous artists and uh, and i'm hoping people do they li- i i i have the days when i wonder whether people really appreciate it but uh i got in a taxi the other day in, in sherbrooke and the taxi driver mm-hmm. told him i was going to simon's and you know he's, he's quiet for a while and he said you know simon's i I love that little building there. They put a little effort. He didn't know who I was. And it sort yeah. of gave me the energy to just say, just sometimes not everyone tells you they like your architecture, but it's worth putting effort into it and it making physically the city environment more beautiful, you know? Mm-hmm. Space matters, you know, and, and, our, and how we relate to space. And certainly for you, you're showcasing, uh, you know, beautiful things and interesting things in your uh, carefully chosen environments. And certainly you've added your own flair to the store designs. How do you balance business decisions on the one hand and sort of the artistic direction on the other? Because, um, uh, I mean, you have the benefits of being a private company, but of course, still you have to make money to stay in business. So, uh, what's what's kind of the the Peter Simon's approach to that? I would. It's funny we're talking about that right now because it's it scales on a lot of different levels. But in order to free yourself for creativity, paradoxically, you have to have a, enormous amounts of rigor or try to on on the core. And my my anecdote mm-hmm. these days is the Picasso Museum in Barcelona. You know, you mm-hmm. you think Picasso just started doing all these crazy paintings, but go to the Picasso Museum in Barcelona and you realize that he was a magnificent classical painter and he painted mm-hmm. his daughter and there are some fabulous just classical paintings and you realize what an accomplished Rigor, you know how much rigorous artistic training he had before he branched off into this creativeness. So, I think you really try to anchor yourself in certain rigorous. You do the rigorous quantitative Cartesian part, and you make sure you're very disciplined in that regard, and that gives you then the space and the freedom to create in a way that doesn't damage you. This. Does that answer your question? Because we talk a yeah. lot on the store yeah. design, or it's the balance of the two, exactly. right? Like so, having the the constraints and the rigor on the one hand really kind of allows for um, a lot of openness and uh, and I guess creativity for for you to explore what that may look like, yeah. which is exciting, and 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 that's how it leads to you to doing things like. Uh, working with Douglas Copeland and others that you mentioned, what drives you to think about a zero energy store or looking at, um, you know, how do we incorporate solar panels or, you know, AI, like you're, you're really taking the, the big ideas of, of right now and, and the future and incorporating them into retail, which, um, you know, is innovative. It's exciting. It's, uh, thrilling that it's happening here in Canada and, uh, but it's not everyone's pathway. <laughs> so, uh, oh God, I, you know, I, I mean, it's not possible it, to, I, I don't know. I think we just we're trying to build a quality business and we're challenging ourselves every day. I do believe on a on a f- social level, a, a societal level that the biggest issues of our generation will be this question of social e- 
equity, social equality and inequality, let's call it, and the environment. Mm -hmm. That's for me. You know, they will look back on our generation as we look back on women's voting, slavery, these these sorts of issues. You know, great, great Uncle Johnny. He was really nice man, but it's crazy he didn't want his wife to vote. You know, (laughs) he was just so, you know, and it's not, you know, every generation has their issues and you don't imagine those are issues when you're in it. The secrets to maybe see history without not with hindsight but while you're in it or a little bit i think historically mm-hmm. those will be the two issues and and the environmental one it's not it's not perfect you know living and consuming takes up energy and and uh um has a carbon footprint but as i think that's a responsibility we have and our zero energy store is one step in that direction there's been a lot of initiatives and there's a lot of work to do still but i'm i'm proud of you know our store in london dairy will use 19% of the energy that a store we built 4 years ago will use and then in capital wow it'll use uh, the footprint will be zero so uh, wow. uh, it doesn't change all our That's stores. dramatic. No, uh, the 19%. <laughs> that is really dramatic. It was a trip yeah. through LED lighting and just thinking about energy and thermal. So um, I'm hoping it ha- plays a little part and we still have enormous amounts to do in our supply chains across the board. Um, so I think that's one of the issues. And the other issue, we touched on it before, is that I think social equality really comes back to that the question of equity and empathy and responsibility in society. Uh, it's, it's, I, I don't really believe in left and right anymore. I just, I think it's a useless categorization in a sense. I, uh, it's not a, I just believe that there has to be an equitable base in terms of, 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 in fiscally. And, and that's, that inequitable base presently or the, that we're not correcting is, is really forcing some, some, choices on us as a society and i'm worried it'll force more and more choices on us that we don't want to make you know well canada is great mm-hmm. because because we're different you know we are we're we're mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're going to try to do things differently we are doing things differently we have the potential mm-hmm. to do things differently we don't want to lose that and you know uh so those are the two issues and i think they try to guide us a little bit and uh, sort of the values of what we're trying to build. And we're trying to use our freedom as a family private company to make the right choices long term that we're proud of. Takes you, takes you into really exciting uh, kind of leadership ways for and inspire, in, inspiring for, for uh, Canadians to think about. Um, what advice do you have for startup entrepreneurs who uh, are thinking about starting a retail business or an online business, um, you know, with, with the fashion lens um, or maybe it's housewares, but, you know, in, in, in any of the spheres that, um, that Simon's is part of, or, you know, I look at perfume, I'm wearing your beautiful, one of your three yeah. new scents right Thank now, you. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, like, uh, what, what do they need to know? about startup and and I know you you know we're talking to somebody who has 175 years of longevity but if if somebody was starting a retail business right now what's your advice Peter Oh boy what a question I I you know it's a, it's a lot of hard you have to be ready to hard to put in a lot of hours and work really hard today but if you make sure you're doing something that you're passionate about mm-hmm. and that you really really care about and I think uh, try to figure out why you're doing it and, you know, don't – and it can't be about 
it can't be about money. It has to be, there has to be some other why, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it has to be about people or a uh, passion for a product. So find your passion and be ready to work really hard and to sacrifice in the short term for tomorrow. And I guess believe I'm involved in a little startup in Brazil right now, a soccer startup in uh, and, uh, it's just the passionate guys starting a building a tech company around, uh, uh, with a lot of hard work. So, uh, that sounds trite, I guess. I, no, I don't it, know. it sort of sounds I, like the standard secret to success. <laughs> Work hard, yeah. know the why, right? The passion piece and the yeah. purpose are pretty critical. A lot of people are yeah. talking about um, Canadian design and Canadian fashion really having a moment right now for a whole bunch of reasons. We're celebrating a lot of things in Canada. We have, uh, you know, some, our prime minister and his wife are uh, young and hip and and uh, fashion savvy, uh, you know, do, are you seeing that at all in your stores that it's cascading in? I mean, I know you're very supportive, obviously, of Canadian designers, but what's sort of your sense about Canadian fashion and and where we're going with it? There's certainly a lot of creativity across this, the the country. It's a, what I find it's amazing whether I'm in Edmonton or Vancouver, Calgary, Montreal, Toronto. Every city has its own little twist on its own little style, and I like that about the country. It's 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 one country, but it is it's diverse, and uh, I like moving across the country and seeing the style in each city. And that style, that city style, is leading to a particular sort of creative, unique creative cluster in each city. And uh, we're just trying to stay in touch with that you know we're doing a special capsule with uh, uh, the LVMH winner from Edmonton uh, this season and uh, I think we wanted to get a little bit bigger to be able to do more projects like that to connect we were a little too small to really be able to seriously reach out to and work with the Philippe de Bux the Denis Gagnons uh, uh, the different uh, people around the country so we're hoping to strengthen that uh, there's a lot of great uh, ingenuity and talent and even with the solar field in Edmonton last week I was really it's incredible what an ecosystem of you know sort of get up and get the job done ingenuity there is in Edmonton right now in the green energy economy uh, a lot of startups a lot of uh, people with a lot of interest and knowledge and so creativity is not only in fashion it's also just in business and technology uh, you've got a great AI cluster in Toronto and uh, uh, yeah so we're seeing a lot of people gravitate from outside of Canada to more and more young uh kids are coming here from France that they're greatly educated. Uh, we just hired someone from the University of Turin in mathematics, oh, surprisingly wow. enough. <laughs> yeah, she's she's amazing. And she's like, I'm in, I'm in love. Don't tell my wife that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she's, what's uh, she doing? Brilliant. What's she doing for you? She's, uh, she's working on some uh, very early sort of mathematical our understanding of AI and Mm -hmm. guiding us through that. We have some more complex mathematical needs here uh, and in terms of forecasting. Mm -hmm. And we're just trying to, we're just trying to push ourselves really to the limit in terms of uh, how we're running our business. I think there's a new programming paradigm coming. Uh, It's, it's sort of leaving fixed algorithmic and moving to more, you know, uh, how should I say, uh, uh, ma- you know, evolving or, you know, machine learning algorithmic mm-hmm. type of programming. And we're trying to, as much as we can as a small company, mm-hmm. s- make that in our little tiny way, understand what's going on and and try to uh, try to follow along with that. So 
Well, I know that yeah, she's helping us. This is amazing. Yeah. And I know AI is shaping so many different businesses. When I was in uh, the Valley uh, speaking in March, I was just mesmerized by how many of the startups are in AI and, and the different uh, verticals and horizontals in terms of that. It's a uh, pretty darn exciting to see the change. And it's also exciting that you're looking at where all of these trends are going. And it's, it's not just fashion trends that you're following and setting, but you're also incorporating these big ideas into running your business, which I think is helpful for, uh, particular if we think about our startup entrepreneurs to understand that these big ideas shaping the world actually um, can be and should be part of the considerations of your own business. And recognizing, obviously, there's, as you mentioned, you know, we always have the constraints, but um, just because you're small doesn't mean, and you're not small, but, you know, uh, but uh, that we can still use those things, you know, to grow and shape our oh, business. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, math is, uh, math is, I said it 10 years ago, if, if you want, if you want to have a job in the future, you know, take, get your bachelor's in mathematics. It's the, it's the programming of the future. So, uh, you take off small chunks and it's maybe not NASA or, or Tesla or, you know, Google at that size, but, uh, there are there's a learning process and there's certainly this idea that automation uh, human augmentation as opposed to automation i'm not a luddite at all i i think that uh, what we're looking at is using automation and mathematics to do things that it can do better than humans but the goal is to free up humans and to help the people that i work with create value you know mm-hmm. the the road to better the road to better wages is 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 through automation that frees up the creativity mm-hmm. you know but with that i you know I, I, it's important we don't uh, neglect education and financing the education and then i come back to social responsibility a, li- a little bit and just uh, i worry about that there's a transition going on in the economy and uh, you know th- it's important we don't you know, we equip our children well. I've got two young children and uh, that everyone gets equipped well to, to face up to this this new economy. Mm-hmm. And uh, Well, work so, for jobs that don't exist and companies that don't exist. You know, it's yeah, definitely yeah. an interesting time. Uh, Dr. Nancy Adler out of McGill uh, years ago said that the uh, Master's in Fine Arts and MFA is the new MBA. And she viewed the role and importance of creativity in business. So I think there's... Um, there's lots to be said for that. A couple of I went to Carleton for a year, and yeah, and uh, I, when I switched over to the University of Western Ontario, I I sort of ended up with extra credits because for I won't get into all the details, but <laughs> it allowed me yeah. a year and a half really free credits where I could take any course I wanted before I applied to the business school there. Yeah, and uh, I'm a big believer in classical liberal arts because mm-hmm. it allowed it gave me the freedom to take one or two philosophy courses, one or two introduction to political science, uh, uh, and and just to search around and get an overview, you know, on, on top of the, the, you know, I studied engineering and then in economics. And, uh, and today, sometimes we're just, we're funneled so quickly that if you don't have that background, be it in literature or art, I do believe, I believe that there's a there's a huge advantage in just rounding it out, allowing you to understand what's going on in the world. So yeah, I'm 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 pro liberal liberal arts in that sense, mm-hmm. you know, that to give having a little more freedom to at least get an overview of a lot broader knowledge than opposed to just very specifically having to do your chemistry, physics, and mm-hmm. uh, biology until you know, and not having time to do anything else. So, Peter, what is a failure you are most thankful for? 
<laughs> I looked at that question a long time you did. before you. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's it's a it's an interesting one. I'll be honest mm-hmm. with you. I'll I'll be uh, um, well. It's sort of actual right now, but uh, I I very much connected on a personal level about five or six years ago with the president of Sears Canada, a mm-hmm. uh, young guy called Calvin. And we, we were, we worked to build a project together mm-hmm. and, uh, and it with Calvin, I believe it would have worked, but a uh, long story short, we sort of, my brother and I got involved with all these people out of New York. And I remember, after spending a good year and yeah, emotional investment and financial investment sitting in my office here. And we, we sort of said, wait a second, are, are, do we have the same values as these people? And are, do we really want to get into business with these people, regardless of whether this deal could be profitable or not? It was an enormous, enormous risk for us. Mm-hmm. And we, we, that night we just said, no, this isn't for us. We, we don't, we don't talk the same language. So the deal failed. But uh, I, I'm thankful it did because I, I do think that night we, we were lucid that we had – if we were going to partner with someone, as much as I – you know, Calvin and I shared the same values, I think that our organizations were just night and day. Mm-hmm. We would have – would have been a disaster. I think that's such a huge takeaway. And thank you for sharing it for uh, startup entrepreneurs to understand that, uh, you know, it's uh, to say yes in the moment uh, is easy, but it's hard to live it, <laughs> you know, and sometimes it can be it, it can be seem hard to say no in that moment. But then that's easier to live because your you know, your values stay intact and you're not trading off on all kinds of things, um, you know, because it's easy to chase those big ideas and big dreams and think, yeah, it'll be fine. But uh, to hear you, you know, talk about such key differences, those don't go away. You know, they just no. No, there. You know, the good contracts that are written, you just put them in the filing cabinet, and they, you never take them out again. But what really binds you to a partner are your values. I think. You know, my father always taught me that. You know, Peter, if you can, if you think you're going to get up earlier to win, just remember the guy who really wants to can always get up a half an hour earlier before you. Doesn't <laughs> matter what time you get up. So don't don't go there. Just and he had a sense of building a quality business. He he had opportunities to enlarge, and he he tried to find his own unique equ- equilibrium between uh, his projects outside the business, his family, his responsibilities to the business. And uh, so he really just said, you know, no, don't run after growth if 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 your values are at stake, mm-hmm. you know, so at and, all costs. find partners. Yeah. And we've tried to, my brother and I still do that. We look around for partners in our shopping centers that are, that are, we think we can uh, really relate to and that understand us and that, that we can build quality relationships around long term, mm-hmm. you know? So. so final question, I know you're an avid reader. So what book has had the most impact on you and that you would recommend to our listeners? And I, 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 am, I know you probably have a long list, but give us one or, or just a few. <laughs> I'll give you two. I'm a Zero Marginal Cost Economy by Jeremy Rifkin. You could also read The Third Industrial Revolution. I think they're interesting paradigms about communication energy matrixes i think they bring to point clear problems uh i'm just finishing sapiens uh you're gonna ask me for the author a brief history yes, of, mankind. of mankind yeah mm-hmm. uh, everyone's raving about that one 
I'm hearing great things. It's a, it's a good yeah. it's a good read. It's interesting. It's philosophical. It covers a lot of ground, but it's it's heavy without being heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, uh, yeah. Well, apart from that, what it, I read *Das Kapital* and the Pope's uh, encyclic on the environment back to back. That was a little heavy <laughs> while I was away recently, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, I think Jeremy Rifkin really looks at the future and what I think about, you know, the future, those are the big books. So Zero Marginal Cost Economy, uh, Capital in the 21st Century is also a very heavy read, but is a, probably an important book of the last 24 months. Uh, the qu- the big questions are, how are we going to organi- organize our societies in the 21st century? And the time is now for change. And if I had any message I want to leave here today is uh, there are people and companies out there trying to make the right choices, but we all have to sort of get on the same page. And there are things that just aren't sustainable. And uh, and I want them to be sustainable. I'm proud of being Canadian. I'm proud of our, our, the, our project as a society. And I'm talking 400 years you know mm-hmm. uh, uh, those presently have to we just have to rethink how we can be sure that we can build the sort of place that we want to for our kids and uh, I'm positive but uh, I'm 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 agitating for reflection and and uh, courageous uh, political action on the global stage uh, a la, a la Diefenbaker <laughs> well you're the man to do it and we thank you for leading uh, both in uh, Quebec but uh, more importantly right across Canada big thinker visionary and a uh, guy with tremendous values so Peter thank you for taking the time to share your bold ideas with us and uh, the, the the very exciting story of your family's 175 yes. and 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 onward uh you know successful company so mm. peter thank you well thanks for your interest and it's a good thing you can't blush on a podcast <laughs> <laughs> thank you again take care thanks all right bye. bye thank you for joining us this week on the startup canada podcast a show dedicated to unlocking the entrepreneurial potential of every entrepreneur with access to inspiring stories and tangible lessons to help you run your business Want access to resources and support to grow your business? Visit StartupCan.ca for the latest startup community news and upcoming events like our popular startup chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. Until next week, thank you for listening. And now we leave you with a sneak peek of next week's episode. Hi, this is Katrina Carroll Foster, CEO of Collectively, and you are listening to Startup Canada Podcast. Sure. Well, listen, Canada's entrepreneurial landscape, our country's economy more broadly, uh, is stronger when it reflects the full diversity of our population. Um, I'm sure some of your other guests have touched on this. You know, there was a fairly recent um, McKinsey report, and it stated that Canada could add, I think it was upwards of $150 billion in GDP over the next decade or so by really focusing on or continuing to focus on advancing women's equality. And I think there's a lot of great things happening in our country right now. And, and Startup Canada has certainly been one of the champions of this. Um, but, you know, there's still a lot of room for improvement, uh, certainly at the senior management level to see more diversity. You know, right now, once you get into senior management, the numbers of women dropped under 25%. And what I'm really interested in, and, and in the technology sector where I spend um, my working life, women are still you know, terribly underrepresented. Um, there was a, a global report out of the global startup uh, ecosystem, I think, that quoted a figure of around 10 or 15% only of startups are still owned by women. And, 
Yeah, you know, but the great thing is that this is something that um, we're seeing both politically and from the private sector is starting to change. Canadian leaders, organizations like Startup Canada, um, and private businesses are all really, I think, trying to push um, push the dial, change the dial. And we want to see more women in technology because, frankly, this is where some of the most innovative and high potential um, areas of business and businesses of the future are really being created. 